You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well. I just uh, want to say thank you for being here today. I know that uh, typically on Wednesdays, we have the opportunity to hear from Pastor Gideon, but uh, Pastor Gideon's unable to uh, teach for the next uh, few weeks. Uh, He's got some things that have come up, and there's a switch in his church service and uh, where he'll be serving as pastor and Anyway, so we don't, I don't know how long it'll be, but nevertheless, uh, we're grateful for the opportunity we've had to have him for some time, and uh, we look for him to return back and have an opportunity to continue to teach. But until then, um, we'll figure out what we're going to do on Wednesdays. Um, today, we'll teach um, simply because we didn't have Tuesday morning. Um, we've had some issues and uh, I was able to take care of some things just uh, yesterday. So that was a blessing, but nevertheless, we're glad to have you today. And we pray that uh, our time in the word of God will always be an encouragement. We're going to pick up where we were supposed to be yesterday. And that is uh, the uh, doctrine of salvation. And we're going to be looking at week eight baptism with the Holy spirit. And so um, I pray that this will be a great place uh, for us to start today and an, an encouragement for you and a reminder uh, of of the Spirit of God who lives and dwells in each one of us who are believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And I know that should encourage you and it should challenge you. And so we, we pray that you will uh, certainly have a, a, a blessing with that. Um, Anyways, so let's go ahead and open in prayer and just uh, some household items. Again, no links and uh, and things like that posted or get deleted. Um, we want to keep the uh, chat clean. So if uh, the admin could pay attention to those things and let's clean it up, uh, anything that's not relative to getting in the Word, and you kind of know where that is. So thank you. Well, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the grace that you've given us. Uh, to be here, to gather, and to open your word. And I pray that as we meet together and as we study your word, Lord, you will uh, impact our hearts, our minds, and that we will continue to be faithful in what it is you've called us to do, and that is to walk out our salvation with fear and trembling, to go and to proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ in a day and an age, Lord, when so many people are chasing and, and seeking after the things of this world. And, and uh, God, we pray that we would focus in on who you are and what you've called us to do for your glory. And we've asked uh, this in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Well, again, we want to welcome you if you're joining us for the first time. Uh, we especially welcome you for those that are returning. Thank you uh, just for being awesome. And again, we were grateful that you are able to be here and we pray that uh, our time together will be a blessing. Um, I have noticeably stepped away a little bit to get a reprieve. Uh, you know, I don't know about you, but um, I- I'm not a a news person. And so the consistent impact of the political drama 
drives me nuts. And sometimes I just need to step away for a few days. And so um, I apologize if you've felt disconnected, but sometimes disconnection's good from the things of this world. And uh, that's what I've been doing for the last uh, about five days. So um, I appreciate uh, the patience. We've lost a couple of hundred people, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, you know, we're not about numbers. We've gained a lot of numbers uh, because of people who follow man instead of the word of God. And, and thus, at the end of the day, we know that uh, God will bring those here that need to be here that want to grow and to be discipled and get in to the word. And that's what we're about. We're not about the political arena. We're not about all of the drama that's happening in our day. We're about the word of God. And so, um, again, thank you uh, for being here. It's always a pleasure. Thank you guys for your support uh, of your time, your talent, your treasure, um, as you've always been so faithful um, to uh, getting in the word and to Family Bible Fellowship and getting in the word as a ministry of Family Bible Fellowship. And so um, we're grateful for each one of you and your commitment to this church. And uh, we're, we're delighted to have you just as well, I want to bring you up to speed on a couple of things that will be happening. Uh, Saturday, uh, October 16th um, at 6 p.m., we'll be running a live service at Family Bible Fellowship. Prayerfully, the Internet will be a value, and uh, Stephen Arnold from Chosen People's Ministry will be teaching uh, Messiah in uh, the festivals. And uh, he he is a wonderful brother in the Lord, got a wonderful wife and children. And so I, I, I hope that you'll be able to join us for that because it'll be a great time to hear from uh, a Jewish perspective of Messiah in the festivals, the fall festival. So it'll be a great time. That's October 16th, 6 p.m. Uh, we encourage you to, to come out and be a part of that. And uh, you'll, I think, will be blessed and it'll be a wonderful uh, wonderful thing for for all of us to encounter so here's the link and uh just as a reminder and uh, let's go ahead and jump in this morning to uh doctrine of salvation well we are now in week eight boy time flies when you're having fun um we started this series for the second time because well we had several you know thousand extra people and we wanted to make sure that everybody had a chance to hear uh, the doctrine of salvation. It is the heartbeat of Christianity to be saved, to be born again, to be a child of God. And so those are really important and a great reminder for all of us to uh, simply be faithful in understanding why it is we are saved and how we're saved. And so we started eight weeks ago with common grace. That is the grace of God that's given to both believer and unbeliever. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. And uh, nevertheless, um, we saw that, that, that the heavens declare the glory of God in both his creation, his invisible attributes, his divine nature, his power, and uh, nevertheless, we see that God is awesome and great and powerful, and He has revealed Himself to both believer and unbeliever, and there is a common grace that exists that is for all mankind. It is not a saving grace, but it is a, 
a common grace which allows you to respond to the revelation that God has revealed. And when you respond to the revelation that God has revealed, you will then be given more revelation. Listen, there is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. And so it doesn't matter what religion you are, Muslims, etc., Buddhist. Listen, Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation, period. I don't care what they say, who tells you, could be Billy Graham. As in his later years, he expressed reality that he thought that uh, there were different ways into salvation, and that is heretical. That is absolutely wrong. And uh, nevertheless, we want to make sure that... Uh, we are reminded of that truth, and um, and so we know that uh, the doctrine of salvation is important. And so we began with common grace. We went into election and reprobation, election being that God, before the foundations of the world, chose uh, those into salvation. The Lamb's Book of Life was written, and so he elected uh, his children unto salvation. And the question then becomes, well, is it uh, unconditional election or is it based upon a condition? With unconditional election, you find typically the doctrine of reprobation, that the same God who sovereignly chose those into salvation sovereignly chose those for hell. Uh, you have to decide where you fall on that. And uh, so if you don't know or you're struggling with that, go back and listen to that message. You'll find it very uh, helpful in deciphering why it is you believe what you believe. Then we went week three, union with Christ. This is expressed really in one phraseology, that is Christ in you. You are connected. You are in Christ. Christ is in you. Um, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So when you are you know, uh, saved, you are born again, God comes to take up residence in you. And we talked about regeneration. That simply means made alive. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. That includes everybody. Sin simply means to miss the mark. It was a Greek word that was an archery term that the archer's objective was to hit the bullseye. He drew back his bow, shot the arrow, and he missed the bullseye. You have missed the mark. You have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so the reality is, is we've all sinned. And so with regeneration, we have been made alive. We've been born again. That is why when Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And so it's a wonderful truth that uh, you must be regenerated. You must be born again. And then you have conversion um, in which you now become, you're converted from a child of Satan to a child of God. You are converted from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. You are then now born again. You are a child of God. Um, and then we talked about justification. That is a legal term which defines you not guilty. Because you've broken the law of God, because there is none righteous and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, before a righteous judge, you will be declared guilty. And the wages of sin is death. The payment of your sinful living is death. And therefore, you are guilty. You've broken the law. And therefore, you are declared not right. 
before God. But justification, when you are born again, when you are converted, you are justified. You are declared right before God. So when God sees you, He sees you as holy and righteous and perfect because the reality is, is you are now a child of God. So regeneration, conversion, justification are all a simultaneous event that takes place in salvation, but we cut thin slices as theologians or you know, Bible students, and we want to understand each element um, as we deal with salvation. Now, some want to have the order salutis as the order of salvation, and uh, we can get so wrapped up in how all of that works, and we can humify uh, that which is divine, and salvation is a work of Almighty God, and we, we, we can't necessarily compartmentalize every aspect. Uh, we can talk about each element of it, but in reality, at the end of the day, it is a work of God, and to try to completely understand it perfectly would be absolutely impossible to to place into order how salvation falls. Listen, God saves souls. And when a person is saved, they are all of these things. They are they are certainly the elect. They are in union with Christ. They are certainly regenerated. They're converted. They're justified. And then week seven, we talked about they are adopted into the family of God. And then uh, adoption is simply you now inherit, right? You're inherited into the family of God. You become a child of God. And because you are a child of God now, guess what? You uh, experience those things uh, just like a normal family. If, uh, if I die, my children get everything I have, which is very little, but they get what I get, what I have. And uh, when you die, you are an heir of Christ, not E-R-R-O, but an H-E-I-R, an heir of Christ because you have been adopted into the family of God. And when you are born again and saved, regenerated, converted, justified, adopted, we know that the Scriptures teach that the Spirit of God comes to take up residence in you. Right, You are the temple of God. God no longer dwells in, in buildings made by men. He lives within us. That's why when you go to a church and they say, Lord, we invite you to come. That's, that's stupid. And let me tell you why. Because he lives in us. You don't have to invite him. He doesn't need your permission to show up. He's God Almighty. And he, for the believer, lives in you. You don't have to invite him in. He's already there. He is, you are now the temple of God. And so when you are saved, you are born again, you are baptized with the Spirit of God, and He lives within you. And that's why we see Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And so uh, that's what we're going to talk about today is baptism with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. So here's three, two definitions, and I hope you find them helpful. They the definitions sometimes uh, seem to me to be helpful. Uh, when God saves a person through Jesus Christ, one of Christ's mighty saving acts is to baptize the new Christian with the Holy Spirit, thereby incorporating them into Christ's body, the church. Now, that definition was by Greg Allison, 50 Core Truths of Every 
uh, uh, 50 Core Truths of the Christian Faith. It's a book we really have delineated this study from, and uh, I'll post the link. I encourage you to buy it, read it, study it, and grow in your faith and understanding of God's Word. But that was Greg's definition. Here's another one that I put together. Uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the work by whereby the Spirit of God places the believer in union with Christ. You see how we've rewound back to the very beginning. This is why I don't necessarily like to bring about the order salutis because I think it's all intertwined and only makes sense to be intertwined because union with Christ means Christ in you and Christ in you means baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is the work by where the Spirit of God places a believer into union with Christ and into union with other believers in the body of Christ at the moment of salvation. You ever wondered why you can connect with someone when you meet them for the first time because your spirit uh, uh, testifies with their spirit and you, you're automatically like brothers and sisters. You're like family, and you don't even know each other. You met somebody for the first time ever, and uh, you have the Spirit of God living in you, and I have the Spirit of God living in me, and therefore we we can tell that you are a born-again believer and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore we automatically are connected. Why? Because we have common fellowship. We have koinonia uh, because we are in fellowship, and and so that's that's a vital aspect of uh, being saved is to be born again and baptized with the Spirit of God. So what are some of the key verses uh, as we talk about the baptism of the Spirit? Well, here's a bunch of them that I've listed, and uh, write those down, read them, pray over them, and uh, allow God to continue to grow you as you study this week. So baptism with the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Let's talk about some thoughts on baptism of the Holy Spirit. Typically, one does not talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in regards to the doctrine of salvation. I don't know why not. They ought to. It's a very important aspect. Uh, that was until there was a much uh, bigger impact and ultimately the spread of Pentecostalism, uh, this movement in the 1900s. Um, and the enormous influence of the charismatic movement in the 1960s and 1970s. The question in regards to the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a different work of God apart from regeneration has come into increasing prominence. So he, here's what the charismatic or the Pentecostal movement in the 1960s began to do, is they began to make the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit of God, a second work of grace. And I would argue that is wrong, that is unbiblical. The child of God is indwelt with the Spirit of God at conversion. It's not a second work of grace. It is not a work that gives you uh, an opportunity now to speak in tongues. That's a spiritual gift which was for the apostles, and if you want to argue with that, that's fine. You can argue. We can agree to disagree. I'm a big boy, um, but I would encourage you to go back and listen to Nathan Butenick's teaching, which we taught here for several weeks on uh, the, the, the uh, cessationism versus continuationism. Um, that's a whole other study in itself. But nevertheless, um, regarding 
this idea that the Spirit of God is a different work of God apart from regeneration grew into prominence in the 60s and 70s. But the early church never, that's important, historical theology. Listen, if it's new, it's not true. That's the old saying. Um, the, the early church never saw the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a work of grace, but rather the indwelling of the Spirit of God into every believer at conversion, at the moment of salvation. You see, we live in a day when everybody wants emotional goosies and, and uh, feel-good theology. Well, listen, the reality is this. When you are saved, Jesus Christ saves you, and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart. It's not a second work. It takes place at salvation. Now, the Pentecostal or the charismatic movements have challenged the traditional view of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in three ways. One of the ways that the charismatics have tried to change the historical or traditional view of baptism of the Holy Spirit has come out of the idea that it is a second work of grace apart from the initial work of salvation or regeneration. The second area that the charismatic movement has been is that the second work of grace was characterized by a speaking in tongues, okay? They would say, well, you need to be baptized with the Spirit so you can speak in tongues. And if you're not speaking in tongues, you're, you're not spiritually filled with the Holy Spirit. He's not indwelling you. And if you were filled with the Spirit, you'd be speaking in tongues. The charismatic movement would say that, thirdly, that the purpose for the Spirit's baptism is in to empower Christians for effective ministry, often uh, accompanying by signs, miracles, and wonders. And here we go back again to the doctrine of cessationism versus the doctrine of continuationism. And in that several-week study, we looked at the reality that a true, genuine, faithful, honest continuationist is really a closet sensationist, and they have to change their understanding of the work of God throughout history because things have changed at the death of the last apostle. So basically, these traditions tend to distinguish spirit-filled Christians and non-spirit-filled Christians. This is perverted, by the way. It's sick. Anyone who trusts in Jesus for salvation is not is a non-spirit-filled Christian? Like, really? You want to go there? While the spirit-filled Christian have experienced a second work of grace known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit suggested in this second work of grace, they have obtained the ability and the power and gifts for ministry. Wow. So when Jesus saved you, he didn't completely save you and give you the power of God who indwells you at conversion. Wow, yeah, okay. Uh, I ain't buying it. Normally, Pentecostal believes speaking in tongues proves these miraculous signs and wonders and uh, are proof that you've received the Holy Spirit. So you can be saved and not receive the Holy Spirit. Wow, okay. Well, we hold to, uh, in our church, the traditional view of the baptism of the Spirit. 
the historical view, what throughout history has been the case. Meaning that at the moment of conversion, one is indwelt with the Spirit of God. When we separate the baptism of the Holy Spirit from conversion, this is what you end up with. Second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. It's perverted. But when the Lord has poured out His Spirit on all people, this is impossible. Christians may be at different points in their sanctification and, and level of Christian maturity, but listen to me very clearly. No Christian lacks the Holy Spirit in his life. If he is really born again of God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not the God of Pentecostalism, not the God of the charismatic movement, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay? You are not a second-class citizen because you don't speak in tongues. You are not a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God because you don't emphasize miraculous signs and wonders. Listen, if we had people who were more concerned about the gospel than signs and wonder, we might actually have people come into Christ. But too many people are wanting to be emotionally driven, and they fail to go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I, I command you, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You want to be obedient to the Word of God. Preach the gospel, my friend. Stop trying to convince everybody you're super spiritual because you can blah, 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 and it means nothing. Because the majority of people who are out there blabbing their mouth, saying they're speaking in tongues, have no interpreter. They're doing it improperly, unbiblically, and there is no benefit for the body of Christ. So I don't buy into it. As a matter of fact, it offends me because it's a perversion of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a perversion of the Word of God to accomplish emotionalism. It's a perversion that manipulates people and puts them on pedestals because they're blah, 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 blah. Listen to what Paul says, but when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, this is my favorite verse, it's in Titus 3, 4, and 7, He saved us. Oh, He saved us. Yeah, He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to His mercy. Okay, I get it. I'm with you. It's not a works-based salvation. It is a work of Almighty God by the washing of regeneration and renewal renewing by the Holy Spirit. Hmm, interesting, isn't it? By which he richly poured out upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In John chapter 3, Jesus explains to Nicodemus that in order to be saved, you must be born again from above. The good old question uh, that Nicodemus had is, how can a man be born again? Nicodemus said in John 3, 4, and 5, how can a person be born again when he's old? He cannot enter his mother's womb a second time and be born, can he? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You must be born of the Spirit of God, my friend. Conversion means spirit has taken up residence in you. Then in 5, 8, 
the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not where it comes from or where it goes. So everyone who has been born of the Spirit, you must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit. You must be indwelt with the Spirit of God. There is no such thing as a Christian that hasn't been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Listen, not one is saved without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which takes place at conversion. At salvation, the Holy Spirit, listen, not only regenerates the sinner, but He imparts saving faith. And he permanently resides in the life of the new believer. The apostle Paul explained this in this way in Romans 8 9, but you are not in the flesh, but what? Waiting on the Spirit? No, you're in the Spirit. And if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, not if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not. He is not his. In a marvelous and in comprehensible way, the Spirit of God makes His home in the life of every person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what matters. Your signs, your wonders, your tongues doesn't make you spiritual. What makes you spiritual is that you were born again from above and that the whole, the holy God has taken up residence in you as the Spirit of God lives in you. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. He is our helper. He protects. He empowers. He encourages us. In fact, the decisive proof of true salvation is the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God. The fruit of that residence being seen in the fact that believers do not walk according to the flesh, but rather in the Spirit, for they are in opposition to one another. Remember that? So don't fulfill the desires of the flesh, but walk in the Spirit, because they're in opposition to one another. 1 Corinthians uh, 3.16, Paul asked the believers in Corinth, do you not know that you are what? The temple of God? What happened in the temple? Well, God indwelled the temple. He came down and He filled the temple. Do you not know that you are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And a few chapters later, while admonishing them to avoid sexual immorality, he again reminded them, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? This is not a second work of grace. It happens at conversion. When men try to twist the Scriptures to get some benefit and, and higher level of, of Christianity or spiritualism, they manipulate the Word of God, which manipulates people's minds, which most of the time manipulates them into giving of their money. <laughs> Listen, the reality is the Spirit of God in dwelling presence it has life-changing implications for the way which they lived. You want to show that you have been born again from above, and that the Spirit of God indwells with you? Well, listen to me very clearly. It's not about your speaking in tongues. Whoop-de-doo. What good is it if I speak in tongues and have not love? You want to know what it is to be Spirit-filled? It's by the way you live your life. Let's talk about what really matters. Let's talk about your personal holiness. You speak in tongues, and you do signs and wonders and miracles. Who cares if you are wretched? If you have no 
holiness in your life. What good is those things? Listen, it's important to emphasize that there is no such thing as a genuine believer who does not possess the Holy Spirit. It's a terrible error, one tragically promoted by many of the Pentecostals today. To assert that a person could somehow be saved and yet not receive the Spirit of God is borderline heresy. Apart from the Spirit's work. No, it is heresy. Apart from the Spirit's work, no one could do anything other as a wretched sinner but sin. To reiterate Paul's statement from Romans 8, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Is that con- I, I believe my child can understand that. If I went to my youngest child whose birthday is today, and I said, Titus, listen, if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And then I said, Titus, what does one have to do to be considered his? He'll say, he must be in Christ. He must possess the Holy Spirit. Okay, yeah, I agree, son. He's six years old. Listen, you cannot be a Christian and not be indwelt with the Spirit of God. Genuine believers, peoples, people who the Holy Spirit has taken up residence, think, talk, and they act different because they're Spirit-filled. They are no longer characterized by the love of the world, the things of the world, the the ideas of the world, they are now in love with the things of God. That, that, that transformation is the evidence of the Spirit's power at work in the lives of those who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Listen, the Spirit's work of regeneration gives us sinners a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27 one in which he is capable of genuine love for God and heartfelt obedience to Christ. John 14, 15. The fruit of that transformation will be evidenced in a changed life. That's important. Because, listen, don't be impressed because someone can babble in, in a language that you don't understand. Because tongues were a real language. If I was Chinese and I went to America and I preached in Chinese, the Americans would understand it in their own native tongue. It's not some strange language. It's a known language. It, the purpose is for the edification of the body of Christ. It was and always has been. The fruit of that transformation is about a changed life manifested in fruits of repentance and the fruit of the Spirit. The reality is it's the fruit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. To accomplish this miraculous work, the Spirit uses His Word. James 1, 17, 18 says of God, of His own will be brought. He brought us forth by the Word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits 
of his creatures. At the moment of salvation, listen, God used his word to convict our hearts and bring us to life so that we are now new creatures in Christ. Christ lives in you. The Spirit of God at conversion indwells every believer. We believe of the Holy Spirit. This is directly from our doctrinal statement at Family Bible Fellowship. We believe the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Blessed Trinity, through, um, uh, though omnipresent uh, from all eternity, took up his abode in the world in a special sense on the day of Pentecost, according to divine promises, dwells every believer. And by his baptism, unites all to Christ in one body. And that he, as the indwelling one, is the source of all power and all acceptable work and service. Every believer, true, born again, is indwelt with the Spirit of God. And you have a source of power an acceptable ability to worship and to serve the Almighty God. We believe that he never takes his departure from the church, nor from the feeblest of the saints, but is ever present to testify of Christ, seeking to occupy believers with him, and not with themselves, nor with their experiences. We believe that he, that his abode in the world in this special sense will cease when Christ comes to receive his own at the completion of the church. So we believe that in this age, a certain well-defined ministries are committed to the Holy Spirit and that it is the duty of every Christian to understand and to adjust to them in his own life and experiences. These ministries, listen, are the restraining of evil in the world to the measure of the divine will, the convicting of the world respecting sin, righteousness, and judgment, the regenerating of all believers and dwelling and anointing of all who are saved, thereby sealing them into the day of redemption and baptizing them into one body of Christ of all who are saved and continued filling for power, teaching, and service of those among the saved who are yielded to him and who are subjected to his will. Listen, we believe that some gifts of the Spirit, such as speaking in tongues, the miraculous healings, were temporal. We believe that speaking in tongues was never the common nor necessary sign of the baptism of the Spirit nor the filling of the Spirit, and that the deliverance of the body from sickness or death, listen, awaits the consummation of our salvation in the resurrection. We believe that God can heal, my friends. We just don't believe that men are gifted with the gift of healing anymore. We trust God to heal whom he heals, and the rejoicing that one day when we step into eternity, we will be healed. But the proof of the indwelling of the Spirit of God is that you change, that you live out your life for Christ. Listen, the indwelling Spirit comes to a soul 
who is dead in sin and creates new life. Titus 3, 5. The indwelling spirit confirms to the believer that he belongs to the Lord and is an heir of God and a fellow heir of Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 15 to 17. The indwelling spirit installs the new believer as a member of Christ's universal church. This is the baptism of the spirit according to 1 Corinthians 12, 13. The indwelling spirit gives spiritual gifts. These are God-given abilities for serving the body of Christ. They, they, they are to edify the body of Christ. To the believer, uh, to edify the church and serve the Lord effectively for His glory. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. The indwelling of the Spirit helps the believer understand and apply the Scriptures to his daily life. 1 Corinthians 2, 12. The indwelling Spirit, listen, enriches the believer's prayer life and intercedes for him in prayer. Romans 8, 26 and 27. When you don't know what to pray, the Spirit intercedes on your behalf. Maybe things in your life are so difficult right now, you don't even know how to pray. Well, as a born-again believer is indwelt by the Spirit of God, He intercedes. The indwelling of the Spirit empowers the yielded believer to live for Christ. He empowers the yielded believer to live for Christ, to do His will, Galatians 5.16. You can't do that without being born again. The Spirit leads the believer in paths of righteousness. Romans 8.14. The dwelling Spirit gives evidence of new life by producing what? The fruit of the Spirit in the believer's life. Listen, that's Galatians 5.22-23. What matters is that you are exemplifying the fruit of the Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit happens at conversion when you are saved and gives you the ability to walk and to produce the fruit of the Spirit. So if you want to know if you're truly born again, it's not by your works you're saved, but the evidence of your salvation is that you fulfill the fruits of the Spirit in your life. So if you're not fulfilling the fruits of the Spirit, then what makes you think you're saved? If you say you've prayed a prayer and you've asked Jesus into your heart, and yet you live like the devil, there's no repentance over sin. There's no change in your heart. There's no proof of fruits of the Spirit in your life. Then, then my friend, you don't have the gospel. God hasn't saved you. God doesn't do a work and mess up. No, he who began a good work in you will see it to completion. The fruit of the Spirit is an evidence of the indwelling Spirit who lives in you. The indwelling Spirit, listen, is grieved when the believer sins, Ephesians 4.30. And he convicts 
the believer to confess his sin to the Lord so that fellowship is restored. 1 John 1, 9. So doesn't mean you're perfect, but when you sin, you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you that calls you to repentance. The indwelling Spirit, listen, seals the believer unto the day of redemption so that the believer's arrival in the Lord's presence is guaranteed after this life, Ephesians 1, 14 to 13. When you accept Christ as your Savior, Romans 10, 9 to 13, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart, bringing with Him an entirely new life of love in your relationship and in your service to the Lord. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we born again? Has God saved us and filled us, baptized us with His Spirit? The evidence should be the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Father, I pray today as we have discussed this topic of the baptism of the Spirit, I pray that you will use it for your glory, for your honor, and that you will encourage each one of us to continue to walk out our faith, uh, that we will continue to live out the fruit of the Spirit in our life because we are certainly indwelled with the Spirit of God. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. And be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org. And come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m.